0: Good morning, good morning, all right. Palm Sunday, right? <laughs> we have a low bar for the whoosh around here. <laughs> but anyway, But that is a wonderful thing. That's what they were doing when Jesus came in riding on a donkey. They were going, whoo! So uh, anyway, let's all do it. Whoo! Wow, that was really good. So we are going to have a sign-up. Uh, in the back, we have a sign-up in the back. There's already a lot of couples who have uh, signed up. And uh, we are going to have six consecutive Sunday nights in which uh, the couples couples are going to get together. Pastor Scott and Amy are going to facilitate this time. So real marriage, prayerfully consider being a part of that. Okay, if you could rise and, for the reading of God's word... We are at the end of the book of Luke. We're at the end of the book of Luke. And when you need a Bible, raise your hand. Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 49 This is Jesus speaking. He's saying, he says this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now go to the book of Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts is a couple of books to the right of Luke, same author, Luke is the author. Verse 4 says this, and being assembled together with them, that's speaking of the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would open our the eyes of our heart the eyes of our understanding lord that we may receive from your word this morning in jesus name amen okay you may be seated so here in the closing verses of luke Jesus, he has at this point risen from the dead. He has spent three years with his disciples, some believe three and a half years. His disciples have literally, they have been with him night and day. He's teaching them, training them, living with them being example uh, to them in everything he did, answering questions, correcting them, building them up in their faith. They knew more about Jesus and his teaching and the way he did ministry than anyone in history uh, before or since. But knowing everything about Jesus was not enough. In verse forty-nine in, in, in Luke, he says, "Wait." That word, "tarry," in, in twenty-four forty-nine means "wait." Same word used in Acts one four. Wait. Don't do anything. Wait. We know in the book of Matthew that he had already told them at this point that they needed to go out to all the world, making disciples of all nations. Uh, meaning. Uh, he wanted them to tell everyone. Uh, he wanted them to tell everyone they could about the Savior Jesus. He wanted them to lead them into a relationship with Jesus, teach t- teach them everything they had seen and heard about Jesus. But again, the fact they knew everything there was to know about Jesus wasn't enough. At this point in Luke twenty four. What they needed at this point was not more knowledge about Jesus. They had that. What they needed was Jesus himself. The night before Jesus was crucified, he had told the disciples this. Apart from me, you can do, everyone with me, nothing. John 15, 5. You can have all the knowledge of Jesus in the world and in God's economy it's not gonna produce anything of value, nothing of value in God's economy unless you have Jesus himself. Now the good news is this. Jesus said something else the night before he was crucified. He said this in John chapter 14. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He had already told him he was gonna die. But he said, and they couldn't understand this fully at this point, but he says, well, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to abandon you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. They didn't know what that meant yet, but that's what he said. How was he going to return to them? Well, we've been in this for a couple weeks now. He was going to return to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. So again, back in Luke uh, 24, uh, verse 49, right before he uh, is taken up to heaven, he says, behold, I send the promise of my father. We reviewed last week throughout the Old Testament and Jesus himself had promised the Holy Spirit. I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry, not, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem, tarry meaning wait, until you have been endued, clothed with power from on high. This is uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait. He says, wait. Yes, you have more knowledge than any other person in human history, uh, past, present, or future. But don't go anywhere uh, until you are given the power. What you need is the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you with power. That word in the Greek for power is the Greek word dynamis, dynamis, which of course we get the word dynamite from, power. The dynamite of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is important enough that the disciples had to wait for him even after they had learned everything that a human being could learn about Jesus. I think it's worth spending another week studying about the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. Last week we covered the following we covered this the Holy Spirit. Who is He? Number two, the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? If you weren't here the past couple weeks, I highly recommend purchasing the CD of last week's sermon or listening online. In a nutshell, the Holy Spirit, who is he? He's a person. He's not a force. He's not an impersonal power. He's not some kind of mysterious influence. Number two, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Answer, by surrendering your life to the Lord and believing the promise of the Holy Spirit. Last week I put this verse up to illustrate this. Peter said to them, this is in Acts chapter two, this is after the Holy Spirit had come upon Peter. He in turn tells the people how they can receive the promise. He says, repent, underline it and in bold. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, there's that word again, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's Acts 2, 38 and 39. And so... Um, The word repent, can we put the first screen up, Derek? The word repent uh, is, uh, it means to surrender. It means to surrender. Um, What does it mean to surrender? Well, if an army surrenders to another army, what happens? It means one army is giving up control of the territory to another. Surrendering to God means giving up control over your life, all your life to God. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Surrender and believe. A few verses later in Acts chapter 2, in the verses we just read, it says this. It says this. It says those who believed this is the new living version those who believed the word were baptized and added to the church that day about 3000 and all those who believed that Jesus had died for their sins and rose again to pour out his life to them so surrender and believe believe and it's called, the, the Holy Spirit's called a gift, meaning it's not surrender and believe and try to be really, 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 really good. It's a gift. Surrender is, is, is an act of faith. It's something that just happens in your heart. You surrender and believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so one last thing to review. One last thing to, to review before we move on. Um, it, 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 we, the, the Bible uses three prepositions uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Three prepositions. Uh, there are three. One of them is the Holy Spirit uh, is in us or in us. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit being in us. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit being with us and the ho- Holy Spirit uh, uh, is comes upon us. The Bible says at the time we initially enter into a relationship with Jesus, which we do by how surrendering and believing. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and is with us. So the first two, the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit with us, comes happens at the point that you initially enter into a relationship with Jesus by believing what he has done for you and asking him into your heart. Now, what about the Holy Spirit coming upon us? The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon us either at that same time, initially, at the time that you enter into a relationship with Jesus, or... At a later time, again, same way, by surrendering and believing. And we covered this last week uh, in the message, in, in the book of Acts. It, it has examples of when this happens. Now, what Jesus is referring to in the verse that we started with today, verse 49, when he says, wait in Jerusalem until you, until you are clothed with Power from on high. This is a reference to the third preposition, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Same thing in Acts chapter one, when he says, "Wait in Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you." He's speaking of that third preposition, the Holy Spirit coming upon in power. But again, you always receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. By simply surrendering in your heart and believing. So enough of review. Let's go on to the third area that I wanted to go over: the Holy Spirit. What is His role in our lives? Now I could have I could pr- have probably six sermons on this, and um, I'm not going to do that. Although the, the you know. I may sometime in the future. This is a very important subject. I'm going to stick with a few different things, really three things, three roles that he, the Holy Spirit, has in your life. And I'm going to go over the three, the first two, very briefly. Number one, the Holy Spirit brings you to God. In the book of John, Jesus says this, about the Holy Spirit, again, the night before he was crucified. He said, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, meaning he, he, he brings you initially to God by bringing you into conviction about the sin in your life. Uh, Derek, could we leave that up just for a second, to bring you it, into conviction of the sin that um, you have in your life? Before the Holy Spirit does this work, it really doesn't bother you a whole lot. But when the Holy Spirit starts working on you, you start realizing, wow, I get this sin. Now, particularly this sin, the Bible says, of unbelief towards Jesus himself but it also says and of righteousness in other words the Holy Spirit starts showing you the perfect righteousness of God and how far you fall below it and finally um, he convicts you of judgment that you deserve a punishment for this you rightly deserve a punishment for this and it's an eternal punishment number one the role of the Holy Spirit he brings you to God number two once the Holy Spirit brings you to God, he saves you. In other words, he cleans you up so you can go to heaven. Titus 3.5 says this. In, a, in, in, in just a moment of time, he cleans you up so you can go to he- heaven. It says he, the Holy Spirit, God saved us through the re- washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saves you and prepares you for heaven. And In Ephesians, it describes it further. He makes you actually blameless before God because you get the righteousness of Christ because only someone who's blameless before the Father can ever enter into heaven. So number one, he brings you to God. Number two, the Holy Spirit saves you. Number three, we're gonna spend the rest of our time on on this, once the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you receive the promise, he will empower you to be a witness to Jesus. Now again, go to Acts 1. That's a, a, two books after Luke, Acts 1. Let's look at this one verse again. Verse 8. Verse 8 again says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. A witness to me. What does Jesus mean when he says, You will be a witness to me? Me, It means that when people are a witness to your life, what they will experience by your life is the life of Christ. That's what Jesus means when he says, you will be a witness to me. Let me repeat that if you're taking notes. This is a good thing to write down. When Jesus says you will be a witness to me in Acts 1-8, he means this, that when people see your life, when they people, rather, are a witness to your life, they will experience the life of Christ. One more time. When Jesus says you will be a witness to me, he means that when people are a witness to your life, what they will experience is the life of Christ. In fact, one of the names of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8 9, 1 Peter 111. Now, some read this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and they read, Will you'll be a witness to me, and they make the great mistake that it's referring just to, exclusively to, talking about Jesus. And so we use uh, the word witnessing. I stood on the corner and I witnessed to people, meaning talking to people. That is just one piece of what it means to be a witness of Jesus. Being a witness of Jesus is when people come in contact with you, whether you are talking or not talking, your life will be a reflection of the life of Christ, a reflection of the life of Christ. Your life will look like, sound like, feel like, smell like, taste like the life of Christ. So what does the life of Christ look like? Sound like, feel like, taste like? Where in the Bible can you go to to get a really, 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 really good description of that? Anyone? Where can you go in the Bible to get a good description of the life of Christ? Anyone? How about it? Let me hear. Where? What? The gospel is good. Narrow it down. Just a little teeny weeny bit. First John. Good. What else? Philippians 2. Philippians two. Anyone else? My wife. I'm going to get in trouble with my wife because when I do that, this, she knows. She says, you're just looking for one answer. Yeah. She doesn't say it like that. She's real polite. <laughs> Revelation. That's good. Anyone else? Where's a good description of the life of Christ? Colossians. Colossians First. That's right. You married a wonderful woman, a wise woman. 1 Corinthians 13. So the, actually, there's many places. I'm gonna put, the, everyone was right. Okay, Stephanie, everyone was right. But, um, but, but look, <laughs> but, but listen, wonderful place when we are thinking about, listen, this is so important. One, don't wanna make too much light of this. It's a, a, extremely serious. You, you will be a witness to me. These are the last verses he's saying. Well, what does that life look like? This is it. First Corinthians 4 7, as much as anywhere else. Love suffers long. Bible says Jesus is love. God is love. Jesus is love. What does love look like? What does Jesus look like? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked to anger, is really the, uh, what it's speaking of there. Love is not provoked to anger. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, which of you in here is able to do even one of those things for even one day? Please don't raise your hand. Don't do that. You can't. Derek, can we go back to the beginning? of 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long. This means, to me, this is my favorite definition of love, that if a person around you is harassing you, could be a baby, (laughs) could be a husband, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, you suffer long with them. Love is kind. I love that word, Kind. It's one thing that you do not see in the world. Love does not envy. That means when you see another and something good happens to them a baby, a marriage, a promotion, money, whatever you don't envy. You rejoice. Love does not parade itself. I've been really meditating on this all week. Just happened to be in 1 Corinthians 13 in my own devotion life. That's why we're using it. But but, uh, love does not parade itself. What does that mean? That means that if no one else was looking, no one was looking, you would still be doing whatever that act of love is with that person. And it wouldn't matter one bit. I love that. That's heavy. That's so supernatural and crazy supernatural. Love is not puffed up, meaning after we do an act of love. We're not puffed up in our mind. That happens to me when I do an act of kindness or something. Something in me starts getting puffed up, but love is not like that. Love does not behave rudely. Really, the word is insensitive. It's not insensitive. We're in Boston, I know none of you are insensitive ever. Love does not seek its own. Now you just chew on that one for a while. Love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. That means you're always putting others' interests over yourself. It is not provoked to anger. Who's ever, ever done that other than Jesus? Love thinks no evil. Meaning, whatever, on an enemy, a person, you're not thinking, uh, um, you're not in your own mind sort of fantasizing or or thinking about some evil to happen to them. Oh, wouldn't it be good if this happened to them? It's amazing few verses here. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Meaning, look, there's a lot of other, uh, a lot of evil in the world dressed up really pretty. You don't rejoice in it. Love rejoices in the truth. Praise the Lord. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. Of course, the next verse, it says love never fails, and we're very familiar with that, but but there is only one person who has ever Been like. This is a description of Jesus. And Jesus is saying in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to clothe you from on high. I'm going to clothe you with power so you can be a witness to me. So when people witness you, they will experience me. This is what he's talking about. Now, it doesn't stop there. Not only is he when he's saying being a witness to me, this is what he's talking about, brothers, sisters, you get three obstacles when you're trying to live out this life. Three, all of which are stronger than you the world, the flesh, and the devil. (laughs) The world. The people around you, the world institutions, the government, the media, corporate America, the entertainment industry, the world, is in direct opposition to you living your life as a witness to Jesus. That's what you have up against you. Are you any match for the media? Any one of you think you are? The flesh. The flesh is, uh, it means the natural man, our natural selves. The Bible says that when Jesus returned, we'll get a new body. Until then, we have to deal with our flesh, our fallen bodies. Adam, Eve, fell; We're, we inherited fallen uh, bodies from him. The Bible does not have a particularly good description of what's in our flesh. You don't have to turn with me, But I'll I'll just read off Galatians 5.19, which describes what's in our flesh. Here's what's in our flesh. Now, the works of the flesh, Galatians 5.19, are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, hatred, contentions, jealousy, selfish ambitions, envy, murders, drunkenness, just to name a few. The Bible says that's in all of us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know know how he does it? Just stirring up the flesh. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, wait, you guys gotta wait. He knew if they go out before being clothed with power, they will get clobbered. Most of us in this room know what it's like to be clobbered by the flesh, the devil of the world. Jesus says, wait, to be clothed with what? No. Dynamite, Dinamess the dynamite of God. Listen, the world, the flesh, the devil, they are not no match for the dynamite, the power of God. Not even remotely are they a match. You know, people talk about the Big Bang. 13 billion years ago, there's a gigantic, enormous uh, explosion, trillions equivalent to just indescribable power. and it, it, it all originated just from you know uh, uh, matter about the size of the tip of your finger and and the explosion was so great it, it just throughout all the universes that you know the, the explosion was that powerful and, and and so 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 powerful was this explosion that you know the earth and all the other planets that they're spinning around at. Tens of thousands of uh, miles an hour. And they have been for, you know, billions of years. Now, I'm very skeptical, and there's a lot of PhDs or a dime of dozen that are skeptical of that theory. But let me tell you, they got one thing right. It took that kind of power to bring all this into place. And guess what? That power is no match for the world the flesh, or the devil. I just want a, f- a few verses from Isaiah. I just want to remind us and, and, and reflect on them and chew on them because it's encouraging, thinking of the dynamite power of God. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and, the, and, and stretched them out, who spread, spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. Isaiah uh, chapter 45 says This is God speaking. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens, and all their host I have commanded. Isaiah 48. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call them, they stand up together. The Bible says that Jesus himself holds, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, holds the whole earth together by the word of his power. (laughs) No match. For the world, the flesh, or the devil. That's why, but, but Jesus says, wait, wait. Now, I want to put up a really simple verse. Remember, Jesus' last command to you, be a witness to me. And in order to do that, you need the power to come upon you. And you can have that by, by believing and surrendering. In Galatians 5.16, it says this. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the, uh, the, the lust of your, uh, of your flesh. What does that mean? <laughs> We've already talked about it. Walk in the Spirit. It means believing and surrendering every day to the Holy Spirit. Every day. And the Bible says, if you do that, you shall not, you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. We've already talked about the flesh and everything that is. it. You, you, you won't do it. You won't give in. Now important, once you have surrendered and believed and the Holy Spirit is in you, with you, and upon you, the Bible says you can ask many times, as many times as you want for a fresh filling or coming upon or really, or baptism or whatever you want to call it. So important. Walk in the Spirit and you will not, Fulfill the lusts of your flesh. That means every day, Lord, I need it. Now, again, we put this verse up last week in Luke chapter um, 11. In Luke chapter 11, before we read uh, that, just in the, in the verses uh, before it, in the verses before Luke chapter 11, Jesus says uh, to his uh, disciples, he says, everyone who asks receives He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And in the Greek, it really reads like this. Greek is the original language of the text. It reads, "For everyone who who is asking, they will be receiving, and to who he who is seeking." They will find, and to them who is knocking, it will be open. The reason I bring that up is because it's a continual action. It's a daily action. It's a daily filling. And then Jesus goes on and says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will the father give him a stone? Or if um, the son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, would he offer him a scorpion? And then it says this. If you then, being evil, why does he call us evil? Because we got a flesh. We're perfect in Christ, but our flesh is evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him every day? If if you walk in the Spirit, you will not Satisfy, fulfill the lusts of your flesh every day, surrendering to the Holy Spirit, letting go. Now, inevitably, people want to talk about a feeling. A feeling. They want to talk about a feeling. And Uh, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, or if I pray to receive the Holy Spirit, surely there'll be a feeling. Not at all necessarily true, says the Bible. I highly recommend this book. It's in our bookstore. It's called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna break one of the Ten Commandments for pastor teachers. I'm going to read from a book. Please try to follow me. R.A. Torrey is the author and he, tri- and he deals with this issue of chasing after a feeling. He says this, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not primarily intended to make believers happy. You'd never know that in many churches. But it is to make, the, but he is to make them useful. It is not intended the baptism, merely for the ecstasy of the individual believer. It is intended primarily for the efficiency of service, the effected, effectiveness of living as a witness for Jesus. I do not say that the baptism with the Holy Spirit will not make believers happy, since part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. If one is baptized with the Holy Spirit, joy must inevitably result. I have never known one to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and to whose life there did not come sooner or later a new joy, a higher and pure and fuller joy than he had ever known. But this is not the prime purpose of the baptism nor the most important or prominent result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Great emphasis needs to be laid upon this point for there are many Christians who seeking the baptism with the Holy Spirit are seeking personal ecstasy and rapture, they go to conventions and conferences for the deepening of the Christian life and come back and tell you what a wonderful blessing they have received referring to some new ecstasy that has come into their heart but when you watch them it is difficult to see that they are any more useful to their pastors or their churches than they were before and one is compelled to think that whatever they have received, they have not received the real baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and talks again about how much we need it and what the real evidence will be. It will be, we will be a witness of Jesus. Not a feeling. So when Jesus says, wait and you will receive power with the Holy Spirit and you shall be a witness to me. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about, except in .0001% of the cases, getting in a a stadium and and speaking to 20,000 people about Jesus. It's about living your life where God has you. And I know in this room, there's about a hundred different variations of that same story, whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, whether it's a child, coworker or a friend, family, member, neighbor, whatever. And as a pastor, let me tell you, it's really discouraging to see people run. Now listen, I know there's a time to move on in certain circumstances, but for the most part when god's glory is reflected it means waiting drawing upon him getting to know him every single day and letting his power work through you so i want to close this morning just with the worship team come if the worship team could come up here you know this past week i many of you probably heard that a uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor, Bob Coy, uh, came forward, admitted to some affairs and stepped down for ministry and I have two things I want to say about that. Number one, I'm capable of doing the same thing. We've already read that what our flesh is composed of. However, I also want to say this. I'm thankful that he's the only pastor I personally know, and I've been a pastor for 17 years, that this has happened to. I'm very thankful for that. And my heart breaks for Bob. I actually knew him. I was on a board of directors 15, 16 years ago with just a few other guys, close contact with this guy. He knew me, I knew him. My heart breaks for him and what has happened in that community. But he's no different than anybody else. I want to, let me tell you this: Why did this happen? People say, "How could this have happened?" It's fair, actually very simple. It's not complicated at all. At some time, and it wasn't recent. It was some time ago because this stuff, stuff never happens overnight. And I say this with all humility. I I, I I I love the man, but at some point he stopped listening to the Holy Spirit. He stopped listening. Day by day by day, he said, no, 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 no. The Bible says in the Old Testament of Samson, it says the Spirit departed from him and he knew it not. He didn't even know it. Now, we know that once we have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't literally leave us and depart us. It's a deposit guaranteeing heaven for us, but the Holy Spirit will stop talking if you ignore him for days, months, and years. And that's what happened. But as we close here, I want again for the second week in a row to give an opportunity to ask the Lord for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, I Pastor Greg last night, he, he he and I pray on on Saturday night's and he prayed to the Lord, he said, Lord, I just hope no one's ashamed to ask you for, for power and help. That's our problem, guys. We get ashamed that we actually can't do it on our own. But you know, that kind of shame, which they call pride, precedes destruction. We can't be ashamed. You can't be ashamed. I can't be ashamed to go to the Lord every single day and ask Him, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I was reading in Isaiah this week. It has this incredible promise. Prophet Isaiah says, If you, and this is God speaking in Isaiah, He says, for those who I lead who follow me with weeping and brokenness, I will prevent them from falling. That's a promise. But it's gotta be every day. Not necessarily physical tears, but just that, that recognition, the dependence before the Lord. Lord, there is no way I can go be a witness of you today in my own power fill me with the Holy Spirit so as the worship team begins again I just we're going to put the lyrics on the on the screen and and for those of you who want a filling (laughs) embrace the lyrics as the prayer of your heart as the holy uh, as the as the worship team begins just embrace them if you if you want That fresh filling, that power. As the worship team begins, I want you to get up off your seat, stand, and I want you to embrace the lyrics as the prayer of your You're the only one in this room. I just want to repeat that chorus. Just imagine you're the only one in this room, as you and God, and you're speaking to Him. Jesus says, "I will not." Instead, He promised, "I will not leave you at, leave you as orphans. I will come." How? In the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he will come. He will. It's a promise. You surrender in your heart. You believe he will come upon you. So as we repeat this chorus, let's just repeat it several times. Just with the heart of surrender, believing the word of God, the promise, which is promised repeatedly over and over throughout the Old Testament. Let's take these lyrics and by faith, embrace them as the prayer of our heart. We'll be right back. We'll be to pray after the service, if you could come to the front. If you need prayer, there'll be some folks uh, up here after the service. Um, a couple things. One, you have a Easter card, one of these cards in your bulletin. Easter Sunday next week. It's hardly a better time to invite people to church where they can hear of what's, uh, what's up with this Easter thing, what's it all about, what the real meaning of, of, of Easter, that, that there is purpose to their life, that there's meaning to their life, but most of all that there is salvation available to them because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so invite, definitely, next, for next week, invite folks out on, on, on Sunday, uh, morning Sunday, morning Easter service. There's no service next Sunday night. also want to tell you that what you saw Danielle do here, the testimony, you got a taste of what happens during our Sunday evening communion service, which we have tonight. It's a time on Sunday evening communion. We're having one. We have one one once every two months just for people to get up here, share what the Lord is doing, but also share spiritual gifts uh, that they have in their life or just share a word from the Lord that they have. That's tonight our communion service. I'm going to close in prayer uh, and then um, God be with you. Go out and live by the Spirit. Father, we just thank you for this Wonderful promise that you have just revealed to our our hearts, Lord. It's just so real. It's just ours for the, for the receiving your word says. And we just thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that there is joy in the Holy Spirit, but Uh, The joy will come, Lord. It will come sooner or later. But most importantly, just the the truth of your word, the truth of the promise that we, um, just by surrendering in our heart and asking, free gift, you have given us the power to go out and live. Lord, we need the grace of the Holy Spirit's power. We thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, we, just rejo- we, do, we do thank you and we do rejoice because of a, a, another promise that you have, that you're not going to leave us or forsake us. So we leave the doors of this room. You will be with us. And Lord, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed.